The CDC recently unveiled new mask guidelines for fully vaccinated Americans, and many welcomed the move as people took it to mean that it's safe to venture out into outdoor spaces and enjoy the warmer weather. However, even with the mass vaccination that's currently taking place in the country, some experts are wary that people may be letting their guards down too soon, especially with the mutant variants and Uh, children yet to be vaccinated. So to get some expert analysis on the CDC guidelines in the U.S., as well as take an overall situation uh, there, we're very pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Tony Moody from the Department of Pediatrics at Duke University, also the director of the Duke's Civics Vaccine Center. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us once again, Dr. Moody. The the CDC offered this new guidance uh, regarding masks in public places. Uh, people who have been fully vaccinated, the suggestion is that they can perhaps uh, be so-called mask off. Um, it does sound like good news, but um, there are some people who may be confused because each individual state among the 50 states have their own mask mandates to varying degrees. Your overall thoughts on the uh, CDC recommendation uh, change? Sure. So I I think the CDC has made an appropriate recommendation, the idea that if you've been vaccinated and you're outside in what is a relatively low-risk area, uh, not having to, to have a mask when you're associating with someone else who has also been vaccinated makes sense. But you're absolutely right that the, one of the confusing things is the CDC recommendations are just that. They are recommendations, and each state has the authority to make recommendations or, or requirements within their own borders, and so it can be a bit confusing. Some states certainly have more restrictive guidelines than others. Uh, for example, my state has typically been a bit more restrictive uh, when the CDC recommendation came out, North Carolina decided to adopt the, the CDC recommendations. But there are plenty of other states that are doing things much more loosely than that. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you talk about the Carolinas, uh, there it is an interesting test case of one with a Democratic governor having a very different view, right, on, on masks and, and how effective they are. And then you have South Carolina run by a Republican governor, which would have their own sort of maybe philosophical ideas about uh, what is appropriate uh, with mask wearing. And it, it gets confusing to a lot of average Americans, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It can be incredibly confusing. I mean, we are right next door to one another, but you're right. We we have uh, had both in the current crisis and historically have had very different views of the world uh, from our, our neighbors to the south. What about this idea of um, what constitutes a fully vaccinated person? The vast majority of these vaccines, uh, with the exception of the Janssen or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, mm-hmm. are, are, are two-shot vaccines. So if you get one shot, it, it might mean that you're not fully vaccinated. This is, again, a little confusing, is it not? It is. It is. I, I think, you know, the, the way that I would frame it is two weeks after the last vaccination for whichever vaccine you're getting. To me, that is a good definition for fully vaccinated. So if you're getting the one-shot vaccine, the Johnson Johnson vaccine, then yeah, you absolutely, two weeks after that one shot. If it's one of the others that requires two shots, then it would be two weeks after that second shot. But I agree with you, the more complicated we make it, the harder it is for people to follow.
Certainly, there has been a, a positive effect in the U.S. so far uh, with the mass vaccination efforts and perhaps with the uh, federal government, government now maybe uh, taking the idea of um, social distancing and those uh, quarantine protocols uh, a bit more seriously. There's always been th- sort of a tug of war between health officials who generally tend to have a much more cautious stance on, on things like opening the economy back up mm-hmm. and, and uh, safety protocols and then um, the people who are political leaders who might feel a pressure economically to to get things opened up faster. Are are we still at that sort of kind of um, difference of opinion, generally speaking, or are we seeing a little bit more of a coalescing now that the the vaccine program has been relatively successful in the U.S. so far? Yeah, I think we're we're much more closely aligned than we were, say, six to nine months ago. There's no doubt about that, that with the new administration uh, and especially the embracing of the scientific viewpoint, that that there's definitely a better alignment between healthcare officials and uh, and people in the government. I mean, I completely understand where politicians are coming from. There is an incredible need to get the economy moving faster. And I think that, you know, what most of us in the healthcare arena are arguing is not that everything should be shut down forever. We're simply saying that based on the science, we view the, the recommendations to continue to mask and distance and to, to try to get the, the epidemic under control or pandemic under control is the fastest way to get there. But I understand that, that other people may have a different viewpoint, and that's why we have debate. When we talk about then achieving full so-called herd immunity. It's a term that's kind of been thrown around uh, maybe a bit too loosely. Uh, but if, if you general, generally, the idea being that if you have around, let's say, 70% of the population inoculated, uh, you have some sense of herd immunity, and then hopefully the vaccine eventually dies, um, barring any kind of a new strain really uh, becoming rampant again. How important is it then that vac- uh, children eventually get vaccinated, where young children still, um, the science is not clear on whether it is safe mm-hmm. to do so. Uh, can, can herd immunity be achieved uh, without vaccinating children? I think it'll be incredibly difficult to achieve it without, you know, without vaccinating children. And, and you're right, we don't have all the data yet. The trials are currently underway. Uh, we are working towards getting the data that we need to understand exactly what the dosing is in younger children. I think we will get there sometime within the next few months. We'll we'll have a better understanding of what the dosing is and what the regimen should be, and we'll get to uh, an authorization for pediatric vaccination fairly soon. But given that children are often less symptomatic, uh, can spread the virus, and certainly that there's lots of contact between young children and older people, uh, we want to make sure that we're getting children immunized as quickly as we can to cut down on that transmission risk for everything else. I mean, this is very common for other infectious diseases as well. Uh, we know very well that if we can vaccinate young children against infectious diseases, we not only protect children, but we pat- protect the adult population, too. Yeah, and then that is really key, and it's been a big kind of sticking point with the idea of opening up schools, right? Because it's not just mm-hmm. necessarily the risk to young children who, in rare cases, also get severely affected by it, but uh, because of the fact that uh, teachers and principals, a lot of them may be in a demographic that uh, it is still um, a, a risky situation for them to be exposed to the virus short of being vaccinated. Uh, one more question here on this front, uh, Professor, because you've been talking, uh, the last time we spoke, we you, you talked about the U.S. and its responsibility as being a good neighbor, helping countries out who are suffering, including and especially uh, countries like India. Uh, there have been some debates now uh, coming forward, um, 
people advocating that there should be a temporary relaxation of the intellectual property rights that these pharmaceutical co- co- companies hold uh, to be able to ramp up the production of, of vaccines, especially in those uh, emerging markets like India. Uh, I've I've heard the arguments uh, on both sides, and uh, on on the pharmaceutical side, uh, there is a claim that this can be done without uh, having to uh, relax IP regulations. Where do you stand on this, and how do you think will be um, an effective uh, strategy in terms of making sure vaccines are available to everyone, whether you're a rich country or not? Yeah, I, I certainly advocate getting vaccines to everyone as quickly as we can, and we should absolutely be looking at every conceivable way that we can make that happen. I think the challenge about relaxing IP isn't necessarily so much about the IP so much it is as it is about quality and making sure that especially for some of these newer vaccines, for example, the mRNA vaccines, that are really based on technologies that are, are not haven't been in place as mm-hmm. long. We want to make sure that whatever gets manufactured is manufactured to the same quality level. And, and so I think that's going to be one of the key things. But I, I couldn't agree more that in order to get control of what's going on in India uh, or what's going on in South America right now, we need to get vaccine rolled out as quickly as we can, because those those situations are looking quite dire right now. And the world is connected. There is no way that those pandemics going on in those countries will not affect us in some way, whether it's economic or or having a variant spill out and end up creating trouble for the rest of the world. So uh, I think the more we can do to get vaccine to those countries, the, the better it will be. Um, no matter what, I think uh, the pharmaceutical companies will eventually uh, hopefully make the money back that they invested in this. But mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think I think we need to look at every possible solution. Yeah, and it, it has become such a politicized issue, right, Dr. Moody, where mm-hmm. um, it, there's so much cynicism about pharmaceutical companies, big pharma and the big bad, you know, the, the CEOs who yeah. are greedy and, and want um, profits over anything else. And if you if you talk about IP in a more cautious way, you're automatically accused of being a shill for, for big pharma. But <laughs> there has to be some kind of solution that uh, you can have uh, the vaccines available and especially for people who are struggling right now, especially countries that just don't have the means to get it, that uh, uh, eventually as everyone and and you've been saying for a while now that it's really never going to be over until the entire world is healthy and risk-free from COVID-19. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I don't I don't view myself as a shill for the pharmaceutical <laughs> companies, but I do understand that there are real economic issues involved here. And it, it isn't it's unfortunately not a simple solution, but I think a solution can be found. I think that if we continue to talk and work, work through it, we can get to a solution that will work for people. Dr. Moody, is always a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.